Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. If you'll join me by turning in your Bibles to John chapter 11, we're going to read verses 21 through 27, the story of Jesus and Lazarus. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Now, if you read the Gospel of John, you're going to observe how Jesus, his ministry, has taken advantage, actually, of the Jewish festivals. He does this in order to have a platform for his self-revelation as Messiah and Son of God. Now, John's Gospel specifically does this by portraying Jesus as a new kind of Moses who brings bread and brings light and who shepherds Israel in the wilderness. And John actually goes further by showing Jesus' self-understanding that he was greater than Moses and even greater than Abraham, and that all the Jewish festivals were actually about him. To remind you, at the Passover festival, where bread is the focus, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. At the Tabernacles festival, where lighting the great temple candelabra is the focus, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. At the Hanukkah festival, where the prophet Ezekiel is read, which talks about Yahweh as Israel's shepherd, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And so Jesus' I am statements is his self-proclamation of fulfilling all of Judaism's deepest hopes and dreams as they long for God to provide bread and light and guidance. And in fact, Jesus goes further. And he says, I am the bread you hunger for. I am the light you seek. I am the good shepherd himself. And before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. And now Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. Now imagine if I was presiding at a funeral and then announced that the person laying in the casket was going to rise from the dead today. It'd be shocking. You'd think I'm crazy. But when Jesus says that out of death, that life will rise, he's not crazy. He's actually speaking truth. And he's proclaiming today that out of these dark times, that life and his light will shine in your life. Do you believe it? I want you to take a look at John 11 verse 17. Because it says this in the text, says, when now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been the tomb for four days. So what we see is that John reports that Jesus seems to be late in going to see Lazarus. Was Jesus being hesitant for some reason? No, but I believe that he was being purposeful, actually. See, at that time, there was this rabbinic tradition that believed that when someone died, his spirit continued to hover over the body for three days. 
and that he could still be resuscitated within that time. But by the fourth day, the person had no hope for resuscitation. And so Jesus may have purposely waited until Lazarus was dead for four days in order to prove that he had authority over life and death. Thus, Jesus did something that even rabbis would have to say is impossible unless God himself did it. John 11, verse 34, it says, Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This is talking about Jesus. Now, the translation of the Greek word here in the Bible, it's a bit understated here, I believe. I think verse 34 could actually read a little bit more closely as that Jesus was angry. Jesus was upset. He was irate. Well, who is he angry at? Well, certainly not Mary, not Martha, right? Jesus, I believe, is angry at death itself. Because God hates viruses and sickness of all kinds. God hates isolation and loneliness and being separated from loved ones. God hates boredom and self-centeredness and everything else that leads to a life that is empty and shallow. Anything that leads to a life that falls short of God's best, Jesus is against. Anything that leads us away from what we talked about last week, Zoe life, right? Life to the full, exhilarating life. Jesus gets angry at death and angry at lives that aren't achieving the Zoe kind of life, the fullness of life that he longs for us to experience. Now, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, it's not that God thinks we desire too much, but too little, that we are far too easily pleased. You see, the raising of Lazarus is a sign that Jesus is Lord over death, and sickness, and cancer, and hopelessness, and God's intention is that everyone will have hope because of Jesus. Not because of our bank accounts, not because of our own abilities, but because of the resurrection we have hope. That we're invited because of the resurrection to a trusting relationship with Jesus who leads us through dark valleys. Do you trust Jesus, the resurrection, and the life? In John 11, verse 1, it begins this section by saying that now a certain man named Lazarus was ill. So I want you to keep in mind, in John chapter 11, it actually marks a new stage in Jesus' ministry and his self-revelation. Chapter 11 is beginning of a new narrative, in a sense. In fact, chapters 11 and 12 specifically highlight two contrasting themes, life and death, where Jesus is seen as the master of both life and death. And so the raising of Lazarus is arguably the most profound miracle of Jesus in the Gospels. But it's only mentioned in John's Gospel. Did you know that? Now, liberal scholars believe that this miracle is, should be dismissed. It's a fabrication, partly because of its lack of mention in the synoptics in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So why is there the lack of mention of Lazarus rising from the dead in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Why only John? Did Christians make up this whole story and then maybe convince John to add it years later? There's a story that goes uh, about a woman who happened to be looking out of the window of her home one day and she was horrified to see that her German shepherd shaking the life out of the neighbor's rabbit. Her family actually had been quarreling with these neighbors so this wasn't going to help. She grabbed a broom and ran outside and hitting her dog until he dropped the rabbit who is now covered in dog spit and now actually the rabbit is extremely dead. 
After freezing for a moment, the woman then lifted the rabbit carefully with the end of the broom and brought it into the house and dumped its lifeless body into the bathtub. She turned on the shower and with the water running, she rinsed off the rabbit to get it clean. And then she rolled the rabbit over and rinsed the other side. And then she kind of came up with a plan. She found her hair dryer and blew the rabbit dry. She used an old comb. She groomed the rabbit until he looked fairly good. And then when the neighbor wasn't looking, she hopped over the fence and snuck across the backyard and propped the rabbit back in the cage because there's no way that she was going to take blame for killing the rabbit. And then an hour later, she heard screams coming from the neighbor's yard. She ran outside pretending she didn't know what was going on. She says, what happened? She asked innocently. Her neighbor came running to the fence. Her face was white like she'd seen a ghost. And the neighbor said, our rabbit, our rabbit, she cried. Our rabbit died two weeks ago and we buried him. And now he's suddenly back. Did the resurrection really happen? Or is it just a made up story? Did the disciples steal Jesus's body from the tomb, somehow overpowering the elite Roman guards and successfully spreading this rumor that Jesus rose from the grave. I would say highly unlikely. It's not a hoax. The disciples and apostles like Paul gave up their lives claiming that Jesus rose from the grave. Why would they give up so much for a lie? A resurrected Jesus and a resurrected Lazarus, neither were hoaxes. It's a true story. In fact, some scholars actually speculate that the early Christian community purposely left Lazarus' name out of the Synoptic Gospels in order to protect his life. So not only was there a death sentence on Jesus' life, you see that throughout the Gospels and in John's Gospel, but in John 12, verse 10, it makes it clear that there was a death sentence on Lazarus' life as well because of the miracle of him rising from the grave. And so John paints a very ironic picture of how Jesus' life-giving miracle, raising Lazarus, now brings upon him and Lazarus a death sentence. Salvation from Jesus, yes, it's free. Oh, but it's costly, isn't it? Now, my story goes something like this. I, was, I grew up in the church, and every week I, I went to church, but I was merely being religious. I didn't really know about the grace of God. And so I was working hard actually to get people to like me and to maybe be impressed by my accomplishments and to recognize me. And I realized that I could never accomplish enough to make me be satisfied. And so in the, in the end, I was kind of like the walking dead. I had this deep depression as a teenager no one knew about. But then the Lord spoke to me. He spoke a word of life into me and life came into my dead spirit. I had to give up trusting other things and put my trust in Christ. Because putting trust in Christ will cost you to give up other things you're relying on, other things to make you feel important, other things to make you feel secure. You give those up and you say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, I'm sorry for following other ways to try to make myself feel valuable. Forgive me. Welcome me home. And he says, I welcome you, my son. I welcome you, my child. He welcomes each of us when we admit our need for him, our need for his forgiveness, a need for him to cleanse us from our sin, our need for him to fill us with his light and to fill our dark places. I heard the voice of Christ and I responded with my whole life. Putting your trust in Christ will cost you. 
Oh, but it's worth it. I love this quote from a, a missionary who says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to keep the things he cannot lose. You see, Jesus is offering an unlosable love. It's worth the cost, but it will cost you. You know, this pandemic has reminded us how quickly life can change. It feels like we've lost so many things, things that maybe we even took for granted now that we look back. In the LA Times this last week, it reported that when the World Health Organization coined the term COVID-19, it was on February the 11th in Geneva, Switzerland, it made it into Merriam-Webster's online dictionary in just over one month. And that was the fastest journey from conception to formal recognition in the company's nearly 200-year history. COVID-19 has sickened, sickened more than 2 million people globally and killed probably over 130,000. The economy hasn't seen such a drop since the Great Depression, and all of us are sequestered in our homes badly in need of haircuts, right? How quickly things have changed. And then last Sunday, we witnessed Simon Bull, our, our own artist from our church, and he captured this beautiful sunrise moment pointing to the hope we have because of the risen Christ. And you, you could literally see the light rising from the darkness in that picture. God's vivid colors filling a blank canvas. It was amazing. And as quickly as the world's circumstances have changed for the worse, Easter reminds us of this, that God's resurrection hope is readily available, that you are God's canvas, and He is the artist in Ephesians 2, it actually says something like this. The Apostle Paul says Christians are actually right now spiritually seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And that we are, Paul continues, God's workmanship. Literally in the Greek, God's poema, like the word poem. God's handiwork. Perhaps even God's work of art. You see, the son of righteousness was not extinguished as he hung on that cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the father answered the question finally, and the answer was Easter. God was not done. Jesus was not done. Over a blank canvas, God promises to do his work. For those who choose to embrace the Easter story, I want you to hear this. We now find our tragedy can become triumphs. We now see that our pains can have a purpose. Our dreams can finally have direction when we align ourselves and submit to the Lord, the one who is the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ promises that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the resurrection and the life, not only then, but for you today. You know, there's a legend that says there was a popular painting titled Checkmate. And the story goes, it was hanging on the wall actually of a home of a man named R.R. R. Harrison, who was a lawyer and a pastor in Richmond, Virginia in the 1800s. The painting depicts Moritz Retsch's famous chess match with this Faustian figure of Mephistopheles, a devil-like figure who appears to be on the verge of winning the soul of a young man in a chess match. 
Supposedly, it was the autumn of 1861, and Reverend Harrison was entertaining some guests in his home, including a famous chess player named Paul Morphy, probably the greatest chess player in the world at that time. And when Morphy looked upon that famous painting that he observed on the wall, he saw the chess pieces, and he saw their positions, as well as the defeated look upon the young man's face. And Morphy studied that painting, and it goes as follows. He's, he says, I think I can solve that problem. And his, his host said, not even you, Mr. Morphy, can retrieve that game. And Morphy replied, suppose we place the men and we try it. And so a board was arranged and the rest of the company gathered around, deeply interested in the result. And to the surprise of everyone, victory was snatched from the devil and the young man saved. When Jesus hears about Lazarus' illness, what does he say? In John 11, verse 4, Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Friends, when all hope is lost, when it looks like the game is over, when you have nowhere to turn, Jesus says with him, there's always hope. In John 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha's answer was this. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. What a proclamation. In Colossians 3, you don't have to turn there, but the Apostle Paul makes some great connections to the resurrected believer and the resurrection of Christ. You see, I like the Lazarus story not only because it's true, but because it's a picture of each of our stories. In John 11, verse 44, it says that the man who had died came out, and his hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. I want you to notice something. Did you notice that Jesus ordered them to take off the grave clothes? It's very interesting because in many ways, Colossians 3 is talking about us as believers taking off our grave clothes. Paul says in that section in Colossians 3, he's talking about this present resurrection life in Christ and our former way of life that was trapped in death. And Paul says that the risen life does not keep the grave clothes on but instead puts on the new, or puts on the new clothes. Clothes that are fit for an alive person, not a dead person. No more grave clothes. In John 11, verse 39, Jesus says, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. I like the King James Version of Martha's response. It simply says, He stinketh. See, Jesus wants dead people who come alive to put on clothes that represent life. No more grave clothes. Clothes that represent life. See, Jesus wants us to take off the old clothes of insecurity, self-centeredness, and control. The new clothes are faith and gratitude and forgiveness and sharing and grace. Let me ask you, have you put on the new grave clothes? The clean ones, you've thrown the old ones away and put on the clean clothes of Christ because you're out of the grave now. You're alive. The grave clothes are gone. The new clothes are on. 
You see, this whole season that we just spent in Lent, those 40 days leading up to Easter, it was a season of repentance, of repentance of forgetting who we really are, forgetting that we really are God's workmanship, his poema, his very creation, his handiwork, the canvas that he has himself painted on. And if Jesus, who has poured out his blood, who has cleansed me from sin, that must mean I'm immeasurably valuable. And I forget, and you forget sometimes too, who you are in Christ. And because all that Jesus has done for me and done for you, guess what? I don't have to share about God's love. I want to share about God's love. As I put on these new clothes and throw away the old grave clothes, I want to share about all the newness I have in Christ. I want to share to a world in need. You know, Proverbs 11:25 says this, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. I want to challenge you and invite you this week. Would you bless someone who comes to your home maybe to deliver a package or deliver mail or to pick up your trash? Would you bless them in some way? Would you show kindness specifically for those who are still out there doing work? Or maybe you're picking up food from uh, your restaurant and the, the person who is serving you, you can bless them. You can handwrite a card. You can give them a tip. You can give them a gift card. Would you specifically bless someone this week as an act of kindness to show and share the love of God? See, our actions witness to the Christ we serve. The love that's alive in us is shown as we serve others. The truth is that Jesus has set us free from sin and death and hopelessness and the list goes on and on. Christ makes sense of all the senselessness, not because he gives us the answers, the answers that we want right now, right? But what he does give us is himself because he is the answer. Jesus, the I am, is God himself. He's present in our pain. He's hearing our cries. He's never abandoning us. Do you have this hope today? Pastor Tim Keller says this about the story of the, the last book of the Lord of the Rings. is a character named Sam, and he wakes up, and he's thinking that everything is lost. His friends are lost. The battle is lost. But instead, he discovers that all of his friends are surrounding him. And then he sees his friend, the, the, the great magical wizard Gandalf. And he's surprised that he is alive. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead. And then he says this, is everything sad going to come untrue? And then Tim Keller says this, for the Christian who knows the resurrection life of Jesus, the answer is yes. The answer of the Bible is yes. If the resurrection is true, then the answer is yes. Everything's sad is going to come untrue. See, the gospel says that Jesus lived the life we should have lived. The gospel says that he died the death we should have died. And Jesus, what he does, he takes upon our sin on the cross and he says to God, blame me for their sin. And then says to God, give them my credit. Give them my righteousness. See, in John eleven twenty five, 25, it says, and everyone who lives and believes in me, Jesus says, shall never die. How do we get this life that Jesus offers? I don't want you to misunderstand me. It's not by being a good person. It's not by becoming enlightened. It's not by becoming rich or becoming immune to sickness. 
It's not by becoming religious. It's responding to the voice of Jesus. And he says your name. And he asks you to come out of the dark. Come out of the tomb. And into the light. Will you step out? And take off those grave clothes. And put on the new clothes of Christ. And live that Zoe life. The fullness of life. Wrapped in the true light and life of Jesus. See, Colossians 3 says, we were once dead, but now Jesus calls us to life and the grave clothes must be removed. Jesus is calling your name. He's pouring his life into yours and he's asking you to follow him and rejoice in this new life and to share it with others. I hope you can get a glimpse of Jesus, the resurrection of the life today. He's calling your name still. You may have been a believer for many years, but maybe the voice has gotten a bit faint. Oh, Jesus is welcoming you home. And if you've never invited Jesus, you've never said yes to following Jesus, to repenting from your sin, to saying you need his life into your dark places. If you've never done that, you can say that now. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Lead me. Fill me. Help me to take off these old grave clothes and put on the new clothes in you. You can pray that now, and he says, you are my own. Isn't that good news? Would you join me in a prayer? Jesus, we want to see you today. We want to hear you today. You as the resurrection and the life. Oh, Lord, forgive us for the many ways that we Christians forget of the power we have within us. You reside in us, the very resurrection life 2,000 years ago that rose you from the grave. That power resides within us by the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, help us Christians to believe again. Help us, Lord, to repent of our unbelief, of forgetting who we are. These works of art, Lord, that you have created. These workmanships of yours, your handiwork, Lord. And Lord, pray for those who do not yet know you, that you keep drawing them closer to you. They would see you, Lord, as true life, true light, the true source of all that is good. Lord, help us to see and to believe and to respond to your call. And it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website, at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.